0: it is, Anthony. (laughs) What a time to be alive.
1: (laughs) You've heard the quote, right? What quote? May you live in interesting times.
0: I've never heard that quote before in my life. Well, you need to
1: look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here we are. Yeah. The whole goal is that you live in a time that is of interest, whether good nor bad.
0: Is this some Star Wars stuff? No. Okay. Not
1: at all. But I'm a huge fan of Star Wars.
0: Never. I've seen one episode or one movie. That's it, all I got. I was gonna say episode. It's episode one. Right.
1: Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, this is Freightonomics. Freightonomics, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to this week's Freightonomics, where we combine uh, an analysis and stats of the freight industry with macroeconomic analysis, and hopefully bring a little bit of clarity. Uh, overall to how they both relate, interact, et cetera. Also give a little bit of explanation over what you can do about it. Yeah. Especially those involved in the industry itself. But hopefully we also give a little bit of insight to those outside of the sphere. You know, there's always this, uh, you know, this population that thinks like, well, you know, I'm in my finance industry Mm -hmm. or I'm in my, you know, retail industry, I work at Target and maybe I don't know, uh, you know, everything that's going on because I have the specific job or the specific detail. But you know what? We're all connected in some way, uh, transportation to retail to health industry, all of it connects in a way, uh, mortgage industry. Would you, know, you say housing? it's a chain? Oh my goodness. Here we go. <laughs> Some form of chain that is connected. Some form of chain that supplies the world. If there was only some term for it (laughs) that we could use.
0: I'm just wondering. Yeah.
1: So, yes, welcome to this week's episode of Freightonomics. Now, Anthony, we have had a, you know, this year has been basically uh, marked with the coronavirus. Yeah. Like we are now in the coronavirus era of existence. Yep. Um, My own personal take is that this is the flu. And it's already out there and mm-hmm. we're pretty much, you know, it, there's nothing we can do. There's yeah. nothing we can do to contain it. Uh, it's already run its course in China. It looks like China has stabilized in terms of new existing cases. You know, they're right around 80,000. They've been that way for a few weeks now. They feel like they've got it under control.
0: 80,000.
1: You know, 80,000 in terms of confirmed cases. Of course, there's all It doesn't mean that there's 80,000 specific cases out there. There's probably several hundreds of thousands. Uh, that they just, you know, the, uh, the sample size is biased towards those who go to the doctor, who report it, et cetera. Um, and
0: what China reports. It, yeah, that too,
1: <laughs> which we talk about. Um, so the big concern, of course, in the, uh, in the world is how does this impact the global economy? A lot of our 401ks have had a nice roller coaster of a ride over the last week or Uh, so
0: (laughs) exciting. If nothing else.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, up, up a thousand dollars down 900, you know, just all over the place. And I was talking to Seth Holm about this impact the other day. Now this is of course, very relevant to anybody out there. And I'm, you know, no, no, Seth Holm. In terms of financial market experience, he actually ran on a. He was a money manager at a you know
0: hedge fund at a hedge fund. Yeah. So he
1: he understands the psychology of it, and that's a, that's that's a key term right there. The psychology of it, big time. Uh, I think we all know that the market is not necessarily as rational as we would all believe or like it to be. Right. Uh, the stock market is what I'm speaking of in particular. So as the Dow Jones flexes up and flexes down. Uh, I liken it to my, the, the emotional mood swings of my seven year old. Mm. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, and it's one of those things where, you know, and I asked Seth, I was like, can I get a little insight? You were there. You're the right. guy that's trading. You're the one hitting the button every day in over, the
0: trenches over
1: whether or not to hit buy or sell. And he was basically explaining like, you know what? The days of it being a pure value position are are pretty much over with mm-hmm. I mean we all know that the market moves way more radically than the actual value of a company Walmart doesn't lose ten percent of its overall value in a single day um, nor does it gain ten percent of its value in a single day right. so we 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 know that the market itself is moving a little bit more emotionally or or outside of logic than we would prefer so he said, yes, there is a little bit of that going on. Of course, um, a lot of the market will react to certain pieces of information more uh, sensitively, right. if you will, uh, than others. And, you know, these are hedge. Th- at the end of the day, as much as we want to program everything into algorithms, program everything into computers and robots and automate all these things. I myself used to automate as much as I could in mm-hmm. my job uh, just so I could get away from the routine day to day. But at the end of the day, there's a human aspect to everything that we do. There's a human aspect to all of our transactions, everything that we talk about, as much as we want to be buried outside of that sentiment and feeling that I so sentiment
0: and feeling.
1: That I so much want to get away from, <laughs> it is a real variable a thing in this equation. Right. So it's one of the hardest equations to solve and a lot of these one of the smartest people in the country are sitting in desks right now, programming algorithms because of that sentiment. right? And they're trying to capture how much does that feeling move the market up or down? And in that movement, people make and lose money. Right. And that's the way the market works today. So like it or not, that's the way it is. So a lot of this emotion or this movement in the market is simply somebody saying, you know what? If I lose a lot of money, regardless if, you know, Peter over there loses money too. Seth sitting in this chair, he's losing money. All this, all their clients are sitting there saying, "Is I'm losing money. I need to find somebody else." Mm-hmm. Even though everybody else is losing money, right? They start thinking about. They just don't like to lose money. Yeah. No, none of. I don't like to lose money. Do you like to lose money? Not, not particularly. No, no I, don't, I don't like to. Not lose usually. Money. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, so it's, it's creating havoc, and it's because simply we have so much unknown. Uh, with a situation like this, we talk about black swans and black swans are, of course, those things that occur. Uh, they're anomalous events mm-hmm. outside of the standard seasonality, cyclical nature of the overall markets, uh, overall just world. Right. You know, these are the things that you can say that every year it's going to be spring. Temperatures are going to warm up. Every year it's going to be, you know, summer. They'll warm up even more. Then mm-hmm. it's going to cool off again. These are predictable events. We know that the direction is going to be kind of a curve. It's going to be lumped in there, and there's going to be normal seasonal patterns. People are going to go out, and they're going to plant in their gardens in the spring. They're going to need water in the summer when it heats up and it gets drier. Uh, and then in the fall, they're going to plant some stuff. Right. You know, this is a seasonal algorithm that mm-hmm. you can program relatively easily. Now, the peaks and valleys of those seasons are obviously not as predictable. There's a lot of other variables. I'm oversimplifying a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even sometimes the turning point, because I, I think a lot of times when people think of economists, mm-hmm. they, they forecast. And I think the easy part of forecasting is the direction, mm-hmm. because when it's going down, everyone jumps on like, hey, it's going down. The, the tricky part is that turning point. Oh, being able to predict when that uptick is going to go.
1: When is it turning? How high is it going to go? How low is it going to go? Yeah, this is this is if you look at the freight market itself, if you look at spot market averages um, over the past several years, you cannot apply any year to the next year. Mm -hmm. You can tell in June rates go up. Right. You can tell in December, November rates go up. But they are dramatically different every single year. There's no one year that you can overlay on top of each other and say, yeah. oh, 15% increase in June. This
0: No, yeah. you can't do it. It's never the same. It rhymes, but it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: that's a good analogy. I like that. Uh, yeah, it technically rhymes. So let's. <laughs> Let's give the people a little bit of an update on the coronavirus situation. It is the story. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. may have fatigue and whether or not you believe it is a, tr- a significant event or not, whether we're overreacting or not, that's another story. Uh, but let's, let's just stick with what we know about this thing. So we just had Greg Miller, uh, you know, brilliant writer. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, report on how basically China has recovered almost all the way to where they were pre-coronavirus, pre-Chinese New Year levels. Now, Chinese New Year, of course, the holiday that occurs once a year, uh, early in the year in January, February, this year it was on January 25th, uh, and traditionally a lot of Chinese workers, uh, you know, basically exit. They don't work anymore for about a week. It mm-hmm. takes them a couple of weeks to get back up to production, it takes them several, uh, you know, it takes several months for this cycle to move through the international shipping supply chain if you will, by about late April or so, we have fully cycled through Chinese New Year. And it's literally only one week right. of existence. Right. This year, of course, uh, we're expecting a lot deeper trough. And we already have seen it in our international uh, imports uh, data. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has troughed significantly deeper and a little bit longer than we would expect it. And we're not even through. We're not even, you know, we're not even scratching the surface, really, of the troughing period. Right. So we won't see the end of this until mid to late April. Now, Greg Miller in his article, uh, if you look on FreightWaves.com, basically China cargo flows rapidly return to pre-coronavirus levels. This is a is a really good article. You should check it out. Um, And it talks about how basically China has returned to business as usual. Yeah. And this is from a cargo metrics company that uses a lot of deep analytics. Uh, to figure out exactly what is happening in the industry? Do you want to give people a little bit of a rundown? Yeah. What you, what you took away from this? I mean, my, I myself find it quite fascinating because I didn't, I wasn't expecting this. Mm. I, do, I didn't think, you know, we read the Maersk article last week and they were thinking 60, 70% by this point in time in terms yeah. of return to action, uh, about 90% by mid-March. But he's saying at this point, their cargo metric status saying that they're already back up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean... Um, as you mentioned, you can go check out the the article but some of the some of the big points is that he mentions that that, that the 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 cogs of global trade are already kind of grinding back into motion, and one of the big things i I really saw here is that we're seeing this on uh more of an upstream effect, right so I think the biggest impact even because we it, this was during Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. so I think the biggest impact for China isn't going to be necessarily the industrial or the manufacturing side. I think the biggest impact is going to be that consumer side because. Chinese New Year is a big consumer time frame for them. That's when a lot of active purchases go on. And so because there's this disruption, they weren't able to make those purchases. There was a lot of self-quarantining. So I think the big impact for China is going to be on that consumption um, point. And I think we're also going to see that um, with uh, maybe luxury stocks um, that are operating in China. When they see, um, earnings a lot lower within that region because there was a lot less consumer activity. But, um, yeah, so Greg really does a great job breaking down, uh, this, in this article, just going over some of the, the, the exports, um, from China and how they're really starting to ramp back up. Um, now it's going to be, there's also going to be some disruptions that may, um, kind of come online, whether that's going to come from the, de- the demand aspect of manufacturing and production and things like that. So that's still unseen where, whether that demand is going to be, be strong as a ramp back up. But, um, being able to see that they're already kind of ramping back up, I think gives hope to other regions that are, have just now be newly impacted by the corona outbreak. To see that where the origin is is already starting to kind of tamper or taper down a little bit, so I think that's a really good takeaway there but um a lot of the data that we're we're seeing now is it's it's kind of like a a little bit of a bright spot wouldn't you say
1: yeah no it's 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 really good news, especially for the trucking industry uh you know in terms of whether or not we were you know there probably will be an impact to the overall volumes here in the next couple of months. Uh, but the big unknown was how deep and how long mm-hmm. will that exist? And that's obviously a big question. It won't manifest itself uh, for another couple of weeks or so inside the trucking industry. We are already, you know, from our data, what we're seeing, a lot of that is outbound volumes out of Los Angeles, Ontario market. Yep. This is... This is a big freight hub for the United States. A lot of imports come in there, but there's also, if you look on Google Maps, I know I've said this before, and I get, I kind of get lost in the Google Map aspect because I love technology, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the way that it materializes, you know, and it's in the most simplistic forms. And just looking at a map of Ontario, California, Fontana, area of Los Angeles, you could just see and you have, you can zoom out. Yeah. And you can see just a sea of warehouses, sea of DCs sitting in that area. And it's due to the fact that a lot of our biggest shippers, the biggest accounts in the country, you know, your targets, Walmarts, um, Americold, um, you know, any any big think about a big shipper. And yeah. they're probably they probably have some presence there. Now, some of them may be hidden in terms of overall warehousing. You know, you have Prologis out there that uh, you know, basically specializes in warehousing uh for customers. Uh, so they'll they'll own the warehouse itself, but they'll lease out their space to customers to have you know they, that allows them to flex up and down in terms of overall warehousing ability, and um, you can see it in the Ontario area where there's simply there's just so much warehousing activity. So when I look at Ontario, California, I'm basically looking at the trucking industry. You know what I'm looking at a few months forward. If there's a lot of outbound volume coming there, uh, coming out of there, then I can assume that the trucking industry is doing well and right. you know, a lot of carriers know this. I mean, as much as a, of a pain and I know we talk about it on Freight Economics. Mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a pain to operate in California, yeah. but you do because you have to, because there's just so much freight volume coming out of there. Ontario, right. California, the biggest single outbound freight market in the United States in 2019, uh, roughly four and a half percent of the total freight volume in 2019 originated in Ontario, California, that was a little bit anomalous in terms of the whole trade war, trade war impact. Right. You know, China, uh, you know, we, a lot of shippers obviously pulled in a lot of freight, given buying them a little bit of time so they could change their supply chains, redistribution networks, et cetera. Carriers figured this out, kept that market pretty action packed with trucks. Right. Uh, a lot of volume coming out of there last year. Uh, and that has simply dried up. It started drying up about mid November, late or actually early November. And then a few of the other freight – bigger port freight markets in the United States, you know, San Francisco, um, Savannah, New York, New Jersey. New York, New Jersey, a little bit of an anomaly because a lot of that freight did go over to the East Coast Mm -hmm. because we were – they were changing their sourcing. So, a lot of that freight moved from, you know, going straight from China to Los Angeles to, you know, Ho Chi Minh Mm -hmm. City to New York. Yeah. Because it was a two-day shorter journey, a little bit less on the cost side. So – You know, there is a little bit of buried uh, interaction in there that we can't really see cleanly, but you can see if you look at Savannah, uh, Houston, uh, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. some of these bigger markets, then in about September, October, this volume just drops off. Yeah. And a lot of that, most of that is due to the trade war.
0: Yeah. And this has
1: taken a lot of carriers off guard. Yeah. Um, You know, as, as you're building a network as a truckload carrier or as an LTL or something like that, you become dependent on a certain situation of freight supply. And, you know, say you're accustomed to, you know, 50 loads a day coming out of uh, Los Angeles, and all of a sudden it's 25. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Like you, a huge decline. You
1: have been building your network based on getting 50 trucks a day going into Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you only need 25. So all those inbound loads become backhaul moves for you. Right. Backhaul obviously is the uh, the thing that's you know you're trying to get out of. It's right. where you have less freight coming out than going in, et cetera. Um, but it's also a return trip in a lot of instances. But anyway, the point being is that you are out of balance now, and yeah. so this dramatic fluctuation in the freight network or the freight. I guess, footprint of the United States can really uh, disrupt the, you know, a carrier's ability to operate. Yeah. And of course, in that you have this implied uh, decrease in capacity Yeah, and that increases your spot rates. Right. That increases your contract rates. Yeah. If carriers no longer want to go into LA as much as they did. say you're heavy Dallas into LA somehow. I don't know how that works. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, all of a sudden your rates are going to go up. This next year, because carriers don't want to go into L.A. as much as they did last year. Yeah. So that's that's the whole use case for, you know, looking at freight volumes in the country, looking at supply chain operations, et cetera. You know, you really need to have this impact. You really need to understand the impact of the global economy. I mean, the coronavirus, you know, could disrupt that in the short term. But the real, uh, you know, issue, in my opinion, over the last year has been the trade war and how it has created this bubble Mm-hmm. Uh, this fluctuation of volume coming out of Los Angeles, et cetera.
0: And, and, we, and one of the things you mentioned was like the inventories and warehousing and, and stuff being pulled forward. Um, I had a good chance. I had a chance to chat with uh, the good folks over at uh, that that put together the Logistics Managers Index. Who? Uh, Professor uh, Zach Rogers and Dale Rogers. Great um, name. Great name. Yep. Zach. <laughs> he spells it Z-A-C. It's a little bit different. I'm all right with that. A little edgy, you know. I'm all right um, But I had a chance to chat with them. Uh, of course, LMI, very similar to the Purchasing Managers Index. Um, it's pulled together by uh, Colorado State, Arizona State, uh, Rutgers, University of uh, Nevada, Reno, Rochester Institute of Technology. I think that's all of them. Give I them all their credit, Anthony. For forgetting <laughs> one or two. Um, my apologies. But um, one of the things that they – it's broken down in components. And, and one of the things that they saw was – one the lmi moved uh down in the in the most recent month for february um and the other thing is for the lmi it, it's not like the pmi where it just kind of captures um the manufacturing component it also captures c- uh consumer sides as well um it's so we saw that uh inventory levels dropped below 50 so it's similar oh. to pmi so inventory levels dropped to from 54.2 to 48.4.
1: So for those of you out there not familiar with the LMI, uh, you know, it's a, it's a diffusion index mm-hmm. based on surveys of what
0: 300 to 400 supply chain. Yeah. A couple hundred. Yeah. Uh, North, or uh, I won't say North American, but I think just U.S. uh, logistics, uh, executives. Yeah. So when
1: they say that their inventory is dropping, that means that they literally don't have the inventory in their warehouse that mm-hmm. they had before. So mm-hmm. that means that they are now slightly undersupplied.
0: Yeah. And, and <laughs> warehouse capacity, that's another metric that they ah. measure. So it went from a 54.7 to a 60.8. And so this is the first time in the LMI history that it's been above 60.
1: So they have lots of capacity. So that means basically the warehouses are emptying. Yeah. And what that should lead to is that more imports are needed and demand is outpacing supply. Yeah. Correct? Correct. All right. Look at me. <laughs> look at, show done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so for those of you out there in, in, you know, in the transportation sector, that means that you may actually see, and I didn't think that this impact was going to be quite as significant, and we still have yet to see it fully materialize, right. which we won't for the next several weeks, uh, the recovery from this impact of Chinese New Year uh, coronavirus, the inventory levels, they're going to need to replenish those because all these warehouse managers – need a, they keep a certain percentage of inventory, and they want to keep a certain amount. Now, you track uh the business to sales inventory, and it's about 1.4? Mm. Is
0: that accurate? I think that
1: sounds about right. So, 1.4, uh, which means that they have 1.4 months of inventory available mm-hmm. for sales. Now, we expect that number to fall because that is a pretty lagging indicator. Yeah. It not? Yeah, we don't normally see that for a few months, and it's recorded by the uh, Bureau of Economic, Economic analysis. analysis. There we go. Jinx. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, if they have 1.4, we're expecting that to go down probably into the 1.3, 3.5, uh, 3, 3.6 mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. you know, area, uh, because we just haven't had a lot of replenishment coming from overseas. Uh, what, 22% of our imports come from China? Yeah. Is that right? Um So what this means is moving forward here in the next, you know, several months, several months, and we're going to see an impact of coronavirus and all this for several months. Right. This is not like, oh, tomorrow, once the news stops reporting on it, everything's fine again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We are
1: going to see a ripple of this happen because we were talking about coronavirus in January. Mm -hmm. It's March. Yeah. And we still have not seen 1% movement in truckload volumes related to. The uh, the import volumes declining and they've declined
0: a lot. Kind of reminds me of IMO 2020, <laughs> but <laughs> it is. It it's thinks, coming.
1: You know, we're, we've become so good at reporting information in this country, in this world, I should say. We, we've become so accustomed to this immediate gratification that we just anticipate. We anticipate so quickly mm-hmm. and we expect these things to happen so fast that we've become biased to thinking, well, nothing happened there. Yeah.
0: And then, it's already tomorrow. Nothing's happened.
1: Yeah. And then four weeks later, here it is. Yeah. And that's what happens. It takes time for these things to happen. Mm-hmm. They've A lot of these shippers, uh, before Chinese New Year, we saw a spike in imports, a lot of volumes, a lot of shipments, et cetera, coming in front of Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. So what that did was it built up inventory levels. Right. Well, it takes about two to three weeks for those uh, shipments to get across the water. We're not an airplane ride from You know, Shanghai or Shenzhen. (laughs) You know, it's 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 pretty far across the water, and then it has to go into warehousing, et cetera, and then it gets transferred and trucking, yada yada yada. So, the topic of the day, Anthony, that I'm going to dive into for this, if for those of you that have been watching, listening, et cetera, uh, we are basically building up this 101, this freight 101, if you will. It's like Like, an encyclopedia. Yeah. It's basically, what is this? These are the type of things that I was asking questions to when I first got in the industry. You know, maybe you're in a specific segment of the industry. Maybe you're not in the industry at all, but you want to know more about what a specific item or topic is. And this week's topic is freight forwarding. I can't.
0: Also, I forgot to mention... Um, you might see me uh, if you're watching, looking down at the computer screen often. Mm-hmm. I am monitoring LinkedIn and YouTube. So if you want to jump into the conversation, feel free to comment, send us a message. If you've got a question or just want to throw in some input, we are here, we are watching.
1: Yeah. So anytime you want to jump in, ask those questions. We love those. Um, you know, but the whole purpose of this show is to educate. It's kind of the how stuff works for freight. Yeah. At this point um, freight and economics, if you will. And, uh, so bring them on. So this week we found, uh, you know, I just thought that this was extremely topical and very relevant. You know, we, we have Henry Byers here, but he's not available today. I wanted him to be on the show today to really dive in a little bit deeper, but I'm going to do my best to, to fake it. That Henry impression, <laughs> Yeah. My best Henry impression and grow six, seven inches and, uh become extremely intelligent he's
0: a smart guy all at at once he's a smart guy
1: (laughs) we're not we're not going to dive into the full-on you know deep analysis that he can do but i I just want to make this an approachable subject and and the whole topic today is to figure out what is freight forwarding Mm -hmm. what does that mean in the overall transportation industry i know i didn't necessarily have a lot to do with it back in my life yeah but i knew that it existed and we did have some level of tangential interest in what happened there right and a fallacy of mine is that I just didn't know that it existed in the ex- in the extent that it did.
0: And that's one of the things you, you, you chatted about earlier. Right. Is like you could live in your world, in your lane and not really be affected by and think you're being affected by this whole supply chain. Right. And exactly. So this is, I think, a, a good step into, hey, this is how it's going to affect other areas of transportation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and just knowing the basic workings of it might help you in your day-to-day job in general. Um, You know, it would have helped me tremendously if I'd have just known a few basic principles of this. That way, I wouldn't have had to have, you know, existing, you know, e- extensive conversations, learning about it, and mm-hmm. then I could get into my analysis or whatever I was doing. Uh, So, yeah, today's topic is freight forwarding, and this is extremely relevant to today's market. And in the next coming months, you probably want to know about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So freight forwarding, uh traditionally and and a lot of people think, oh freight forwarders are just brokers mm. it's a little bit more complicated than that,
0: yeah, so is this more so le or skewed to the international community Zach quite a bit so <laughs> how timely
1: yeah and that's and that's why that's why I decided that we need to cover freight forwarding uh this week because we have you know there is a lot more there's going to be a lot more prevalent here in the next couple of weeks um you know, freight forwarders are different than you know your three PLs that you hear about. You know, yeah. you work at a brokerage; you're you're an intermediary. Yeah, and that's and you intermediate freight movements. That's the only level of similarity between freight forwarding and a three PL. Gotcha. After that, it is a totally different world. Uh, so, freight forwarders, specifically, I mean, to to put it in its simplest terms, they handle all the transactions, moving freight from origin to destination, anywhere. So it's multimodal. So that means it could go on an airplane, Mm -hmm. truck, rail, um, name another way. (laughs) Yeah. Name (laughs) another way. rail, air. And a ship. ship. Uh, Just the biggest one, the ship. Um, You know, they they basically say, okay, so Target needs to ship something across the ocean. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know what? I don't have the relationship to get that LOL surprise doll from That's Shenzhen. That's you did there, relationship.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there.
1: From Shenzhen to my warehouse in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. So they're, one of their biggest value adds is the fact that they can handle, they have international agents. And they can get that freight from China. They mm-hmm. handle all the paperwork, which, again, one of the biggest differences is the amount of paperwork a freight forwarder is willing to deal with. Got gotcha. you. They have to handle all the customs, the warehousing. They don't necessarily own any of
0: it. So that's a, that's a big part of it, right? Yeah. Owning the freight and then owning the, yeah. the, the, the goods that you're, that you're hauling or transporting throughout the country right? W- globe.
1: There's a legality issue here, and I'll get into that here in a little bit. I don't want to dive too deep into that just yet. But basically, you need to get it from a warehouse in Shenzhen to Atlanta. They will say, all right, we're going we're gonna to send a box truck to go pick up your LOL surprise dolls, mm-hmm. you know, to get it to the warehouse at the port of Shenzhen. Shenzhen, then, you know, they they handle all the documentation, all the you know the paperwork that says, okay, this freight can leave, yeah, and go across the ocean and exit China. It's going to be okay. We've inspected it. Also, it has all the stuff that you've asked for. So they get through that process. So there's the more you're handling something, the more complicated it gets. Right. And there's a lot of handling and there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in getting something outside of a country, into another country. Yeah. So they handle all of that. So they say, gets on a box truck, goes to the port, gets from the port into a warehouse, from a warehouse, then it gets loaded onto a container ship, and then from that container ship, it goes across the ocean. Mm-hmm. And then they handle the paperwork about it entering the United States. Let's right. just call it the port of Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Port of Los Angeles then has to have some sort of
0: custom clearance process. In Los Angeles, in California, mm. surely the regulations are loose around there. Not at all. Okay. So, <laughs> so again, there's a lot of political
1: bureaucracy involvement into getting this freight into the country, out of a country, especially from China. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's heard about the trade war, but we mm-hmm. talked about it a few times. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff involved in getting that freight across the ocean, into the country. Then once it gets into our country and it says, okay, you're clear documentation, documentation, Mm -hmm. uh, it will then get on the rail on another truck, et cetera, get to a warehouse, get to, you know, whatever it is that they, that the ship, that target said, Hey, I want you freight forwarder to get it to whatever point. Yeah. It could be final destination. It could just be a warehouse. Yeah. Uh, it could be a holding facility that target wants it to go to. It doesn't necessarily matter. Um, So, essentially, a freight forwarder isn't just like, you know, in the way that it's different from a 3PL or a broker. 3PL or broker is basically like, hey, I need this shipment going from Los Angeles to Dallas Mm -hmm. on a truck. I have a full truckload. Freight forwarders can handle, and again, brokers can handle less than truckload, et cetera, Mm -hmm. all sorts of small shipments. But they're basically saying we can get it. Whatever it is, high value is also another thing. There's more high value product coming on freight forwarders than there are on brokers. Sure, um, it it they're saying that they can get it whatever means necessary to that destination in a very specific time frame.
0: So with three pls, some three pls, they have. I've heard the term asset based. Mm. So with a freight forwarder, do they have assets? Do they have warehouses? Do they have trucks, ships, planes? So they,
1: here's the thing: they can, okay. <laughs> but they typically don't. Gotcha. Uh, freight forwarders are just that: forwarders of freight. Yeah. Now, some of them, and 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 again, there's there's a little bit of discrepancy here. So, uh, you know, I think some people out there have heard the term NVOCC, mm-hmm. non- vessel owning common carrier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they are. They actually perform a lot of the same operations of freight forwarding. Um, but there is a big difference. So freight forwarders do not own the freight. Okay. NVOCCs own the freight. Gotcha. Um, and this is a very, this is a technical legal thing. This is a very important difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Uh, non vessel owning car- common carriers will, you know, they technically act as if they are a carrier but they don't own the transportation equipment. So they don't own the ship. They don't own the truck.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: they do is they lease a portion of that ship okay. or that truck. And then in that same means, that means that they, you know, any, anybody that's been in freight for a little bit knows that if you're a carrier, you're technically taking possession of whatever it is that you're transporting. Mm-hmm. That means that you are legally liable for whatever happens to that while yeah. it is in your possession.
0: Yeah,
1: Freight forwarders do not own any of the freight gotcha they're they're helping you with the process of transporting the freight and moving the freight to where it needs to go but they don't own it therefore you cannot hold them liable for anything that happens to that freight in that process you have to go after the carrier and so that's why there is a very important delineation between nvocc Mm -hmm. and a freight forwarder Mm -hmm. just like a broker in the united states they don't own the freight right if something damages your freight and you've handed it off to Echo Global Logistics, yeah. you're going to have very little luck going after Echo. Yeah. you got to go after the carrier. Right. And that happened to us back in our day, too. Yeah. We were the ones liable. Yeah. Even yeah. though it was, you know, but we're again, we're ultimately responsible. We're holding the freight. Right. NVOCCs, since they own the space on the transportation uh, equipment, that's their space. Yeah. So they're liable for it. Yeah. So th- th- that's a very important, you know, difference. So, uh, uh, one know. of the
0: things that you like, so just kind of backtracking here real quick, you, because you went over all of the things that, mm-hmm. um, needs to happen, right? For freight forwarders from the origin through all the loopholes that, and I'm uh, not loopholes, but hoops that they have to operate through and then going into a, new, a whole new country, all this stuff. What's insurance like? It's a nightmare.
1: <laughs> it is an absolute nightmare. So a lot of the freight forwarders are, like I said, it's, not, it's more than just transportation. Yeah. It's also warehousing, storage, um, various other in- intermediary operations. So they, yeah. li- they, lit- they literally take over the entire transportation of whatever product you are trying to transport. Mm-hmm. They own it, yeah. but they don't own it. Right. Right. <laughs> they own the process, but they don't own the freight. And so therein, you are trusting them to put it, put that uh, freight on somebody that you are trusting. Right. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be very unhappy because they're going to damage it or it's going to be late, et cetera. But they are responsible for the entire service of it. But the they don't own it. They can't they can't be sued for any damages or anything like that. Gotcha. So, um You know, the insurance part of it is obviously a big deal. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And there's insurance uh, providers that specialize in these intermediary insurances just to make sure that there is an extra layer or an extra buffer between the two. Uh, But, again, most of that is since you do have extra layers of it, insurance Mm -hmm. costs are going to be a lot higher. But Mm -hmm. also a lot of the freight is a lot higher in value in general. Um, Most people, again, freight forwarders have networks of agents and people internationally. Mm -hmm. Uh, NVOCCs will literally operate within themselves, so okay. they'll own all of it. And it's typically, you know, somebody domestically that just has, they own, they'll literally own the, uh, the containers, okay. uh, you know, the 20 and 40 foot containers, they'll yeah. operate those, uh, but they won't necessarily, like freight forwarders won't, they okay. won't own the containers, but again, but they'll handle the packaging. So everything that happens to that freight, they're responsible for. Yeah, but they don't own the vessels, you know that that it transports on. Right, um, which is kind of confusing to people, and and it, and it really I I understand why. That's a very confusing concept. Yeah, and, and,
0: <laughs> and I remember one of the other things that that you went over in one of the previous episodes. I think it was probably our truckload versus LTL. Um, when you're handling the the product more often that becomes more and more of a liability for things to go wrong, right? And so I'm sure that's also a factor into the whole insurance cost because I can only imagine if you have a product that's coming from China and then is going into a warehouse and is changing modes potentially, that there's more hands being put on that product, more liability.
1: Not just more hands, but also uh, higher like risk in terms of international exposure. Mm-hmm. You have different regulations in other countries than you do here. Right. Um, especially now, I mean, we've got so much contention, you know, and especially involving China, you know, our political side of things has been very anti-China over Mm -hmm. the last year or so. Uh, so that means that there's more increased chance that your product may not make it over to the United States in the form that you think that it's going to be in. Right. So that's going to increase your risk. Right. So you have to think about everything, especially on the insurance side. They're not simply there to say, ah, we're going to just mess over the customer. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is literally an algorithm that says you have X percent chance of losing this freight or damaging this freight on this load. They then put that into a – they turn it into a financial figure, Mm -hmm. and that's what it is. Gotcha. And it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, again, a lot of it has to do with the value of the freight. Right. Because obviously the higher the value, the higher the cost of replacing. Um, But again, everything is an odds game to them. And if the odds are too high – you're gonna pay a premium for that. Yeah. So it, it that it's that simple and that basic. Um, they're not simply out there price gouging uh, you know, over what's going on, but it is it is a legitimate amount of risk, especially involving in today's climate where you are talking about moving freight from a place that is disease infested, yeah. according to the media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though there's eighty thousand confirmed cases in a what
0: It's quite a few billion.
1: They've got a few billion over there. Again, the reporting numbers are, we know that they're a little bit soft. (laughs) (laughs) We can go ahead and assume that. They're soft here, too. Uh, But again, that's going to be an increasing factor moving forward. Again, what happens this year, too, it doesn't go away. Like, now we have had a black swan event involving coronavirus. We've had this. Insurance costs are going to go up. Yeah. That That's part of the equation now because it is now a factor because yeah. now, now that it's happened, they now have substantive evidence that it can happen again. Yeah. Just like hurricane, uh, you know, it has, to be priced in. it has to be priced in. So our costs are going to go up every time that we have one of these disruptive events. Mm-hmm. Expect your costs to go up uh, for good or bad. It's just yeah. part of the equation. it's part of life. Uh, hate to be dad here, but <laughs> <laughs> That's how things yeah, work, it's how things are. Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of depressing. But, um, you know, the freight forwarding uh, aspect of things is far more complex than the simple, you know, than a freight broker who is saying, like, I'm going to go ahead and handle. It's basically the freight brokers, the three PLs in the United States handle you know, domestic transportation, LTL, truckload, mm-hmm. can be rail, intermodal, et cetera. But it's basically saying we're going to handle this piece of freight moving from Los Angeles to Dallas. And it's going to be handled in this window here-ish. Yeah, We're going to pick it up. We're going to do this. Freight forwarders, they're a little bit more specific. They're a little bit more time definitive. They tend to be more, uh, you know, on time in terms of like or more, I guess, cognizant. Of the mm-hmm. time that they're transporting it in. Uh, that's why that they involve uh, the airlines and the air freight industry in that, because a lot of that freight does need to move very specific windows. You've got pharma, electronics, et cetera, yeah. that are involved in that a lot more often. But, yeah, they are, you know, if, if you have to simplify it all the way down, uh, the freight forwarders are far more international and the freight brokers are far more domestic. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a far more moving parts in the international sphere. Yeah than there are in the domestic one.
0: Yeah. Um, And one of the things you you chatted about earlier when breaking this down was, because I'm thinking of all the things that has to happen for a freight forwarder, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to leverage quite a network of relationships in order to have a continuous smooth operation. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you need lots of people. You need lots of things involved. That increases your overhead. That increases your costs. Mm -hmm. Increases your risk, et cetera. So you're going to have to pay more for that premium. Yeah. Um. It is not a very, again, and you don't have control over all the parts. Yeah. Like I said before, you have agents sitting over in China that are going to handle one part of the transportation, one part of the warehousing. You're going to have different regulations over there than you have over here. It's a very complicated process. Yeah. Um. Not, not quite as simplistic as saying, I need a truck moving from uh, St. Louis to Chicago today. Yeah, yeah. And I need it moved, you know, I need it picked up today, but I need it delivered, you know, Thursday. That's expedited freight. But at the same time, it's not, uh, you know, it's not as complicated in terms of, you know, figuring out who's going to handle it. You know, you call a list of carriers. Yeah. Whereas with an international shipment, you call the shipper. Mm-hmm. You call the government. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. call the warehouse provider. You yeah. call the port. Yeah. You call the transportation provider domestically, you call the port domestically, yeah. you call the insurance provider domestically, you call all these, it's literally just a plethora of entities yeah. that you have to deal with. Whereas in the United States, in a freight brokerage situation, it's very simplistic. Yeah. Um, not Imagine
0: starting a freight forwarding company. Just. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And the, and again, the NVOCC gets confused with that. They do own the space, so there's yeah. a legal. You know that is a big that is a big deal in terms of you know overall cost, overall, you know what you are paying for. Right. Um, that's they're going to handle a certain part of that. That's not necessarily the same way that a freight forwarder would. So, fun facts. Ooh. About freight forwarding. About it. So, you've you've seen the notes. I'm not even going to pretend. Let's pretend. <laughs> <laughs> when do you think freight forwarding began?
0: Mm. Ignoring what you know and ignoring what <laughs> I know, Zach. I, well, technology is, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking global expansion. Maybe freight forwarding began around 1950s, 40s. No, no, no. Earlier. Earlier. Really. So think about the early. Think about
1: transportation. Yeah. This isn't, like, international trade is not a new concept.
0: It's been going on for a while. It's been a while. Yeah.
1: But think specifically about transportation and more of a industrial modern era.
0: Mm, The Industrial Revolution, especially. Oh,
1: we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. 1836. Okay. In England, the Thomas Meadows Company. Now, I'm not saying that they are the first ones, but they are some of the earliest recorded versions of modern day freight forwarding, and that's because that's that arrived right around the time of the advent of steamships mm. and rail mm-hmm. because you have this multimodal, you know, aspect of things. You are you know, you have the ability to, you know, keep goods safe and intact. You have like England is, of course, expanded. You have colonialization around the industrial area yeah. era, era, I should say. And they are now, you know, they ha- there's an interest in keeping those goods safe and and intact over long distances outside of your realm of control. England is not, is a very small country in terms of area. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but traversing the Atlantic ocean, that's no small venture. Right. So 1836, that was, that was basically the first, I guess, recorded, uh, instance of Mm -hmm. modern day freight forwarding.
0: Interesting. Early.
1: Yeah. What do you think about that?
0: That's it's pretty impressive. I mean, it makes sense. And, you know, if you link it to the industrial revolution and really the the impact or the influx of um steamships and rail and all that stuff coming online. So, yeah, it
1: makes sense. Yeah. So, I feel like we've covered that pretty extensively now. Yeah. If you don't know what a freight forwarder is, uh, the difference between MVOCCs, call us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Email us, whatever. Reach um, out. Reach out. Um, but you know uh, you know it is going to be a more important aspect of things especially moving forward because it takes so much time mm-hmm. for this freight to move through the system i think that's one of the big points that's one of, one reason i wanted to cover this today is because everybody's thinking ah i haven't felt anything yet my contracted right. freight volumes are doing fine i'm doing well uh, nothing's impacted me yet i read all this stuff on freight waves i don't see volumes going down i don't see them going up mm-hmm. uh, significantly so it's 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 non event Give it a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We are not yet. So we literally, what, four to five weeks away from Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. Something everybody was already planning for on the shipper side. Right. They built up their inventory. It was already high because of the trade war. They were already happy with it. Mm -hmm. Especially, you can see that clearly in November freight volumes Uh, out of L.A. They fell off a cliff about 20 to 30 percent in a single month. Um, so they had plenty of inventory. So there's an inventory level just like the LMI is is presenting there, it's now falling below what probably several are thinking is an acceptable level. Right. But now they have to place those orders. Right. And then they're gonna have to come back. So depending on how much inventory is available in those warehouses, Mm -hmm. we're then we're now going to see some sort of lag or delayed effect uh in the freight market in general. People might be panic buying or panic pushing freight. Mm -hmm. so it might cover up that impact a little bit. I mean, you have to think about this. How many masks did you order last week? Quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, you have a whole room dedicated to just...
0: Yeah, designer, different, you know, (laughs) prints,
1: patterns, all of that. There's so much that has happened uh, around this. Anytime people get excited or anxious or whatever, Mm -hmm. there is panic buying, all this kind of stuff that happens that may actually cover up a lot of what we've seen already yeah. in terms of like diminished freight volumes. It's just going to be different freight. Yeah. Um. So again, we're not seeing it. We're seeing actually a pretty positive sign in terms of overall freight volumes. We're roughly uh, 1.5% up year over year in terms of overall freight volumes. Okay. Um, you know, contracted freight volumes are doing well week over week. We're up about 4.4%. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty good number. Again, we're in March. We're in early March. Yeah. We're starting to see that spring season pick up uh, no you know I, I cannot find in all of our data the only data that I can see clearly, and of course Mike Bauden distal our uh, rail expert bowden Bowden distal right <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, sorry mike the uh, the rail volumes are down significantly out of l a mm-hmm. uh, they are down in inbound to a lot of cities but mm-hmm. You know what the crazy thing is? I was looking at this the other day. Atlanta volumes, inbound rail volumes are down significantly since November. Uh, which so again, that
0: precedes.
1: We're talking about the trade war. Yeah. The trade war has had more of an impact than coronavirus to date to the trucking market.
0: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's
1: like we, we get caught up in these moments of you know news headlines, etc., but it's not materialized yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's not going to show up in the freight market at all, but right now to this date, it has not showed up at all right. in the freight market, right. except for in the rail, because they're obviously much more exposed to international freight uh, movements, international loaded containers down about what uh, mm. I think they're they're down ten percent year over year. Wow! If you compare the two Chinese New Year periods, uh, so yeah, they're they're down and they're still troughing. International shipments are down uh, quite significantly, so we're seeing. It took about 12 days Mm -hmm. for the international imports to trough out uh, last year, and they dropped about 15% uh, in 12 days. This year, they've dropped about 20% in 15 days, and it still hasn't seen a bottom. Yeah. So international imports down. We're still waiting on that pick back up. Greg Miller's article saying we're, we're already done. Wait for it here in the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, which is good news, and I think this is really positive news. That means that if, if, if this is right, if this cargo metrics data is accurate, which I believe it is, mm-hmm. by the end of May, we'll be 100% through the at least supply side of the freight. What happens on the consumer end, yeah. I'm going to leave that up to you yeah. because hey. you're, in, you're in touch with their feelings. Yeah, sure uh, I am. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think we should dive into that here a little bit just yeah. to say, like, you know what, the consumer is what drives a lot of the freight. Mm -hmm. In the United States. Mm -hmm. And so far, I don't know if we have seen anything that has showed that they are losing interest outside of stock market volatility.
0: Nothing just yet. Also, Paige Finch on LinkedIn, we see you, says produce season, dollar sign, dollar sign. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, We're getting there. And then she also says, then why can't technology promote the success of such a large portion of transportation transactions? I'm not sure if there was like a, what that was in reference to, but I'm thinking transportation transactions and technology can only do so much when you're, when you're kind of going, when you're operating from country to country, right? So oh, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to be a bypass. Scenario.
1: No, technology can only take you so far. It's not going to change the underlying value of what you're offering.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and, you know, if, if there's not a huge demand for it, then it's not going to, you know, transactions are one thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's, the value of each transaction that's another. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um it's 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 a difficult process. It's a complicated process mm-hmm. in terms of freight forwarding. Uh how much somebody's willing to pay, you know this supply yeah. and demand. Yeah. <laughs> Good old
0: supply and demand.
1: And and you know at times you've got, you know, you've got other pressures on these things, other variables. Uh there should be, you know, in my mind, that's that freight forwarding job is worth a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you hire somebody, especially if you're doing this consistently. You hire somebody to specialize in this, and you develop your relationships, and it becomes a very fluid, easy process. It's yeah. those that aren't used to this type of thing, those that don't maybe have the relationship with the steamship lines, the mm-hmm. rail, uh, the people that get it across the ocean. Again, right. and think about the scale of the the customer that's involved in that. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they got a lot of buying power. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, you know, the targets that I just mentioned, the Home Depots, they have these relationships. China may have a big influence over us mm-hmm. but we have probably a bigger influence over them because without us they don't they really don't have the buyer right they can produce anything they want but they're not buying their own stuff sure a lot of that stuff's coming over here because they can't afford
0: it right 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 you know
1: that's the reality yeah um but yeah so you know i i I do think the consumer. Over here, the one thing that concerns me about this overall process is looking for, you know, any kind of sign that we have started to quarantine ourselves. Mm. My personal opinion is that the coronavirus is already here. It's mm. already in most places, most states, whether or not reporting it or not. We don't have the testing capabilities. and mm-hmm. know they talked about they shipped out 500 tests to San Francisco. Yeah. That's 500 tests to San yeah. Francisco. That's nowhere near the amount. So they're they're only testing people. I haven't people. been
0: tested for coronavirus. Yeah.
1: So, and it looks like the flu, mm. tastes like the flu, mm. smells like the flu. Is it the flu? It, you know, all accounts and purposes, the only thing that's separating this from the flu is the fact that we have a vaccine for the flu mm. and not for this. Yet. Yeah, yet. And people are just going to be more susceptible to it in general, mm-hmm. therefore inflating some of the numbers instances. So eventually, I believe it will go through the country. Yeah. And not that it already hasn't. I mean, yeah. there's, I, I myself, if I get sick and have a 102 degree fever, mm-hmm. I'm going to lay on my couch. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to lay there for the next three days. Yeah. I'm not going to the doctor because I don't feel like it. And they're just going to tell me, come back in five days or call me in five days mm-hmm. if you don't get better.
0: Right. Because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And then you start blaming people that flew into the office. Yeah. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one in particular you know we got people flying in and out every day um, but one of the things you mentioned was uh the consumer reaction mm-hmm. and Zach one of the indices that I love to look at consumer confidence was one that came out not too long ago so consumer confidence came in at uh, 130.7 according to the conference board so it missed expectations of 132.6 so it wasn't as high it was still an increase but just not as high um so it really shows that there's still a strong reading and in january and so um this really kind of covers a i like this because the the coronavirus is already introduced right Mm -hmm. it has it didn't ramp up and the most recent stock action that we just got through that we're still kind of going through now (laughs) it's still underway so that's going to be i think baked into the next release but this at least shows that there is some resilience yeah yeah. it's some hesitance but there's some resilience there you know it it, an increase but not quite as much right in decline there might be a little slight decline next month i don't know um but it does show that there was still an overall strong reading um i think that's one of the things we saw throughout 2019 was that there was a pretty resilient consumer after the the trade war talks, um, the Twitter stuff. Consumers they if it's not impacting them, their their underlying conditions are still stable. Um, and we jobs. had
1: a great retail season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Walmart it, might have missed expectations, but we still had a pretty good retail season. It really we saw in the trucking volumes. Mm-hmm. Maybe didn't translate. Ex- specifically to as many, you know, robust a spot rate movement as we would have liked, potentially. But it was still a pretty good season.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's a big takeaway here is that it's all really being underpinned by um, employment rates. Um, even the, the demand for labor mm-hmm. we're seeing is Got to watch those job openings. So that that's a, a nice gauge for demand for labor because that declined the last two months.
1: We're running out of time, Anthony. So I want to mm. make sure that we hit one
0: thing. Yes.
1: And that's that half a, that's a 50 point, 50 basis point drop in the interest rate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the federal funds rate. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think about
1: that? I need a hot take. <laughs> uh, so
0: hot take, I mean, it's going to make big ticket purchases more. Um, affordable for the consumers. That's a plus. Um, when we're looking at, at especially things like, uh, interest rates or mortgage rates and things like that. Um, woohoo, more, more, more. But that's already doing really well. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So, I mean, that's going to be nice. Um, capital expenditures, all that good stuff. So I, I think it's, it's good that there was room to drop the interest rate and that it wasn't dropped all the way to zero or negative prior because this is something you need to have in times like this in order to manipulate when the economy might be in need of a little bit of a sustained boost, you know? Right,
1: a little, res- little reserve in the back. Yeah, a little You don't reserve.
0: want a 0% interest rate. That no. doesn't do anybody any good. I'm not coming out, the gate's flying. I'm pacing myself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but so, yeah, there's that. Um, the other thing that was uh, f- that 50 number, um the ism pmi right so it stayed above 50 50. 50.1 so just barely
1: so that big jump that we saw last month Mm and what was it 50.7 is 50.9 maybe 50.9 okay So it only, it only retracted slightly and it's saying about 50. That's a really good, that's a really good sign for the industrial sector.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the respondents, they have respondents, uh, talking about what they're seeing and they're all citing the Corona, of course, a coronavirus, of course. So, um, that's, I'm sure going to be a talking point within the industry. Um, especially for manufacturing, we've had tariff. We had the grounding of the 737 max. Now we have the Corona. We also had diminished, uh, Uh, business investments. So there were a lot of headwinds and there are still a lot of uh, factors playing.
1: So do you think that we're going to see people overspending here in the next couple of months once we get through the idea that we're all going to take a simultaneous sick day in April mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe mm-hmm. March, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> depending Yeah, uh, because it, it's inevitable. It's going to go through the country more than likely yeah. to what level, who knows uh, there's that argument about flattening the curve, mm-hmm. you know, how impactful is it right away? Cause that's really what happened to China. Yeah. All these people got sick at once. It's basically like them taking a sick day all at the same time, mm-hmm. shutting down production, shutting down manufacturing. And it really had a notable impact uh, to f- volumes in general. But, yeah. If we can maybe just move through that a little differently here in the United States on the consumer end, the consumption mm-hmm. end, uh, it may not be, you know, that huge threatening event that we yeah. all think it is. Yeah,
0: especially if we get in some kind of vaccine situation by then. Um, I, I think I think if we see a big ramp up and headlines are just going berserk, there might be a little bit of resistance to go into crowded areas maybe go into grocery stores. Maybe that'll be a nice little bump up that e-commerce so desperately needed. Um, well, they're, canf- they're canceling conferences left and right. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are.
1: Uh, so that's that's a big economic downturn in that regard. Now, mm-hmm. that's that's a big sign to me that things are you know, we probably will see some softness in March, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. I think it's pretty inevitable at this point that we should see softness in March. How that translates into May, June, July, I'm not really sure yet, yeah. Uh, but I think that you know, this first quarter for sure is going to have the initial wave of it, the second yeah. quarter is going to have the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also may be the beginning of the recovery, yeah. which I think actually might have some robustness towards the end. You're saying a slow start. I'm
0: saying And a that strong it, finish.
1: I, yeah, I'm saying the second quarter has... Or the
0: second half of 2020.
1: Second, I mean, but I think that we might see a bigger a recovery. recovery in the second quarter, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a rough start to it. Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, and we don't really have a, a debate topic, Zach. I mean, I was going to have my hot take that ice is kind of gross, but you are kind of on the same board I've had with some that.
1: gross ice, and I think that yeah. it can taint things in general. So, yeah.
0: What's your take on tap water? I won't drink it. I don't. Okay. See, no, we got we nothing this week. We, we got nothing. We can't it. But okay. I, think, I think
1: we covered enough this
0: week. Yeah, we know We did.
1: We'll have a hot one next week. We, we kind of came in hot with the coronavirus. Speaking and we
0: had of hot, I prefer heat over cold i agree okay so we got nothing today
1: see you you know that i do
0: i i mean i'll take 125 over 25
1: you heard me talk about january
0: yeah the january blues yeah Uh, we don't have anything today that's all right and and also the heat will kill the virus and we'll all
1: be happy so there we go just like we should be (laughs) (laughs) all right anthony smith so i think that wraps it up for this week in freightonomics
0: yeah shout outs to emla the intern running the show behind the
1: scenes thanks as always Making a sound. Making it happen. (laughs) All right, guys. Y'all have a good week. Emily the intern. Emily the intern.
0: Making stuff happen. Look at her there, hard at
1: work. She's more than an intern.
0: She is. She's
1: here all the Every day. She's more than an intern to me. (laughs) Oh, my
0: goodness. Get it done. (laughs) Put that coffee down.